Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Cowspiracy, the sustainability secret is a groundbreaking feature-length environmental documentary following an intrepid filmmaker, Kip Anderson, as he uncovers the most destructive industry facing the planet today and investigates why the world's leading environmental organizations are too afraid to talk about it. Animal agriculture is the leading cost of, cause of deforestation, water consumption, and pollution, and is responsible for more greenhouse gases than the transportation industry. That's right. You heard me right and is a primary driver of rainforest destruction, species extinction, habitat loss, topsoil erosion, and ocean dead zones, and virtually every other environmental ill. Yet it goes on, almost entirely unchallenged. I'd like to say, until now, this is a wonderful documentary. It's called Cowspiracy, uh, The Sustainability Secret, and we're joined today by one of the directors, the co-director of this, and that would be Keegan Kuhn. Keegan, welcome to Film School. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. All right. Well, let's uh, get to the basic stuff here. Where did uh, your decision, you and Kip's decision, come in to start doing a documentary about what I call uh, the industry that's hidden in plain sight? You know, it started from Kip was inspired by the documentary film The Inconvenient Truth, uh, focused on Al Gore's uh, PowerPoint presentation about the impacts of climate change on the planet. And he was really inspired by that and got into environmental issues and started to go down this path of, you know, living as sustainably as possible. But then stumbled across a U.N. report from the Food and Agriculture Organization that said that animal agriculture was responsible for more greenhouse gases than the entire transportation industry. Um, and he thought, well, why, why am I now just learning about this? Why wasn't this in that film? Why isn't this on the websites of all my favorite, you know, nonprofit environmental organizations? And so we started investigating, started asking questions, started Getting, trying to get in touch with the environmental groups and get answers and wasn't getting anywhere. I was getting complete silence. And he actually did this for a number of years. Uh, and then just realized that probably the only way he's going to be able to get answers is to take a camera into these offices and pose the question to them with a camera in their face. And so I teamed up with him. I just finished uh, one of my, my first feature-length film documentary called Turlock, and he'd heard about it. So we started working together and kind of hit the ground running from the first time we met. We started on production because we want to get the film done as quickly as possible. Yeah, um, so the, it's just in, for people who haven't seen uh, Cowspiracy, it's it's your, essentially it's a, kind of a first person, what, what's the right way to say that? First person documentary, it's Kip, you're following him around. Um, is that is that a right, a good yeah. description? Yeah, Yeah. I mean it's, it's it definitely, it, it follows uh, Kip, you know, my, my co-director on a journey. And so yeah. it's his personal story, what right. he's going through, yeah. through the whole process. Yeah. Um, and then we, and people really, uh, identify with him and I think it makes it easy. We, we could have done a film entirely just full of statistics, you know, that in agriculture consumes more water, you know, consumes half the water in the United States, you know, versus domestic use, which is 5%. Um, we could have just done, you know, an hour and a half of just statistics, but we knew that people really need, 
uh, a character to latch onto and to have a strong narrative really helps to pull a lot of documentaries away from just being academic films. Right. No, and it does a great job. And Kib is very accessible, you know, interesting guy, uh, genuine. Uh, he comes across, to, you know, as a guy who's genuinely perplexed. And this is the thing that I, uh, in addition to all the fantastic uh, information that's in Cowspiracy, I, I think the the troubling sort of revelation in it is that the environmental groups either willfully or by some level of ineptitude don't seem to be very well versed or interested even in animal agriculture and its impact on the world is there a takeaway from from that my my perspective you want look i want people to see this film i i i think it's really in the telling uh but does this shock you, surprise you? What was your reaction as you were going through this process and, and the reaction of these high-profile environmental groups? You know, it, the, the reaction varied greatly from, you know, some organizations seemed to be completely clueless and not have any idea of the impacts of animal agriculture, and others were very clearly evading the questions uh, and would go in a roundabout ways, you know, just trying their best to avoid talking about animal agriculture as if, it had been written into policy that you couldn't talk about animal agriculture. And so, you know, the, this very conspiratorial feeling started to creep up on both Kip and I that, you know, there's something, there's a bigger issue here. Um, and I think it really, it really depends from organization to organization. Some of them have, you know, they focus grouped it and they have seen that, in fact, that putting a million dollars into a campaign about animal agriculture will have a smaller return than putting a million dollars into a campaign against dirty coal. And uh, so it's simply for, you know, financial reasons they look at it. They're, you know, I think a lot of them are afraid of scaring off their donor bases. You know, if you start talking about dietary changes, you know, your meat-eating supporters are maybe going to get upset and not donate. Um, and then it's also for the people who run these organizations. You know, they, they eat animals and animal products, and so, you know, it's uncomfortable to tell people, hey, we should be, you know, cutting back on eating meat uh, if they're eating meat themselves. And then there's a whole other element, which is the, the political aspect of you know, political repression, which exists. Right. And, and I th- that's funny, um, because I think everyone, sort of it's in the zeitgeist of, of people over, let's say, 20, 25 years old, that can remember when, um, was it is Lyman? What's his first name? Is it William Lyman? The Howard Lyman. Howard, Howard Lyman. Lyman. Howard Lyman was on the Oprah Winfrey show, and and they were talking about uh, animal production, animal meat, agriculture, and all the rest of it. And Oprah ended up being sued, and it sort of left. It's sort of one of those. Pub, I would call it a publicity stunt, even though the ramifications of the suit were real. Uh, but it, the impact that it had, the chilling sort of impact that the meat industry was able to ex- to be able to gain from it, is something that I get again. I think it still exists to this day, and 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 to know that these sort of vile political maneuvers that made it illegal to talk badly about animal production and animal agriculture have left a a, a, a searing kind of impression um, on on the American public, but you would think that in regard to environmental groups who were in the business of making uncomfortable information available, that this wouldn't be the case, but it, it feels like it is. Is that, am I? Yeah. Does that? Oh, you're, you're absolutely correct. I mean, that's the, you know, lawsuit against Oprah Winfrey and Howard Lyman, and who's a former cattle rancher speaking out against the cattle industry, uh, yes, yeah, still reverberates through society, definitely sits in our 
collective unconscious or conscious. Um, and I think that definitely plays a role. But, you know, since that case back in the 90s, things have actually gotten worse. There's yeah. now federal legislation called the Animal Enterprise Terrorism Act, which says uh, to interfere with the business of an animal enterprise is committing an act of terrorism. Which means, and that is so broadly, you know, written that it can be construed to mean almost anything. You know, if you're vegetarian, well, you're interfering with the business of an animal enterprise because you're, you know, boycotting the company and therefore removing part of their profits. Uh, and and you know, there's even crazier legislation. There's these ag-gag laws, and one of them almost passed in California, but they passed in I think 13 states around the U.S. that have actually made it illegal to film on farms without the written permission of the farm owners, and that even means from public roads or right. from airplanes. I mean, there's a National Geographic photographer who was arrested in Kansas for taking aerial photographs of feedlots. Uh, and again, these are laws that have been created so clearly by the industry because they don't benefit consumers in any way. They don't benefit the public or the environment or the animal's well-being. It, they protect an industry that doesn't want people talking about how they do business. Yeah, it, it's it's sort of akin. I mean, if you're talking about this this lawsuit and the impact it's had on on gen, people's general perceptions about things, I would put the this Lyman case, the Lyman Oprah Winfrey case, on a par with the the woman who um, sued McDonald's for the, the the coffee spilling on her lap, and how completely distorted the facts of those case that case and also with the Lyman case have been d- contorted to to blame the victim or whatever it's just these these are very very effective tactics and you're right being able to impose a kind of a political uh um veneer a political slash um legislative veneer to all of this craziness and again we're talking about a, a massive industry an industry that i again I, as i said at the top of the interview that it's hiding in plain sight these farms these feedlots these places are immense the, the the amount of territory that they that they not only do they use but also they pollute is is insane. Talk to us a little yeah, bit about I mean, some of the sort of the depth and breadth of how much we're talking about in terms of an industry. Sort of a some broad strokes here. Yeah, I mean, as far as the you know, according to the Livestock Research Institute, forty five percent of all ice free land is occupied by animal agriculture in some way, and that's for either ranching, you know, grazing, growing the feed crops, uh, feed lots, factory farms, 45% of the Earth's ice cream land, which is just unfathomable. Uh, about 30% of the world's fresh water consumption every year goes into animal agriculture. 55% of the United States' water consumption is for animal agriculture versus, again, 5% for domestic use. And here we are in California dealing with this massive drought, and we're all told that we need to reduce our water footprint, you know, our water consumption at home by 20%, which is great. We absolutely should. We should save water everywhere we think possible. But in California, 47% of all water consumed goes to animal agriculture versus, again, about 4% for domestic use in the U.S., in California. Um, 91% of rainforest destruction is caused in some way with animal agriculture, whether clearing areas to graze cattle or to grow the feed crops that are then fed back to the animals. Um, and again, leading cause of water pollution. Um, I mean, the craziest thing, which is something I didn't even know going into making this film, was the impact that livestock has on the oceans. That land-based animal agriculture is the number one cause of ocean dead zones, which are areas in generally in coastal waters that are completely devoid of life because they've been so overrun with nutrient runoff from factory farms and feedlots and waste 
uh, and that is causing just massive die-off of all aquatic life there. Um, I mean, list literally goes on and on. Oh, I know. And, any well, environmental issue you could care about, <laughs> animal agriculture has a hand in. And, and by you know, I, I, one of the reasons again uh, that I wanted to have. By the way, we're speaking with uh, Keegan Kuhn, the co-director of the film uh, *Cowspiracy*. Uh, and one of the reasons I wanted to have you on uh, today is uh, obviously Fourth of July weekend. You know, everybody—it's the sort of the American tradition to you know pull out the barbecue and throw on hamburgers and hot dogs and ribs and all the rest of it. And I just for those people who are out there about ready to throw their burger on the grill, uh, that particular hamburger that you're you're about to consume, or one pound of beef, let's say a couple of hamburgers out of this, twenty five hundred gallons of water were needed to produce that one pound of beef that you're you're about to stuff down your gullet and um that is insane 477 gallons of water are required to produce one pound of eggs almost 900 gallons of water are needed to produce one pound of cheese these are nuts figures and i don't think again one of the great, and I say this in quotations, one of the great things that the that this industry has been able to do is to keep this completely out of the public discussion. Absolutely. And then, you know, those figures that you listed are actually very conservative figures. We use very conservative figures throughout the entire film. There's studies that say that it actually takes upwards of 8,000 gallons of water to produce a pound of beef in California. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, the industry is definitely, it has a very powerful hand with the media as well. You know, look at the drought in California, and mm-hmm. there is this demonization of almonds. Uh, almonds are, you know, causing terrible, you know, they're using so much water. And almonds do use a lot of water, but they use about 10% of all water consumed in in California yeah. uh, <laughs> versus, you know, close to 30% that goes into just feed crops. And, you know, you look at a crop like alfalfa. Yeah which is, you know, not consumed by human beings, we export 100 billion gallons of water in the form of alfalfa every year to Asia to feed livestock there. So, you know, again, the biggest thing that people can do to save water, I mean, one hamburger is equivalent of showering for two months. So <laughs> it's like for the 4th of July weekend, if people want to have their hamburger and they want to save water, well, you're going to have to give up showering for at least two months to be able to offset the impact of that versus you could have a veggie burger which has you know water footprint of you know, 25 gallons uh, and you know yeah. they'll be able to shower and your family will <laughs> live well with you 1,000 gallons of water are required to produce a, one gallon of milk okay the, yeah. I, I mean I I, I don't want to just completely overwhelm our audience with these statistics but I and they're in the film. Uh, it's done, by the way. The presentation is terrific. It's wonderfully done. Uh, you get a lot of people articulating s- these statistics, interesting people, Michael Pollan, a whole bunch of really interesting uh, uh, people who have been in the, in the industry, scientists, activists, and all the rest of it. But again, I, I, this is kind of the weird part of, uh, and the, one of the more fascinating things about Cowspiracy. By the way, people want to know more. They, uh, they can go to Cowspiracy.com. Uh, you have on the site not only about the film, but that I'm looking at the facts part of it. And there's a way to get involved, and there's a way to do you know, really to be uh, part of the solution on this. But I keep coming back to this idea, and the thing that just want, makes my I want to just scream is the environmental um, groups that are are just uh, uh, they they've 
vacated their their mission on this one and i it's just a wow and it it in one hand it's depressing but there are groups that are doing good work here i want to make sure that we uh, are we talk about them um uh, but i i just it, does you really do, do you in your heart of hearts do you think that they've been compromised or i, I don't understand i can't i can't come up with another explanation yeah, you know, I, I think it varies from organization to organization. I mean, one very large environmental organization, who I won't name, yeah. um, one of their largest uh, grants on record was from a extremely large landowner who owns, slaughters 50,000 animals every year for his restaurants. Yeah. And he gave this organization the largest grant they have on public record. So, I mean, are you going to speak ill against an industry when you're getting money from you know, donors like that? Um, and then I think, you know, I think it's really just a culture of people believing that we can't live without eating animals. Uh, and I think that perpetrates it as well. But then there's also this, you know, very misguided uh, belief that there's sustainable meat. Yes. You know, quote, sustainable meat. Yes. And that's something we explore in the film as well, is looking at the environmental impact of grass-fed and free-range and cage-free and organic meat and dairy and eggs. Uh, and the truth is, is that we really we don't have enough land on this planet to feed 7.2 billion people and growing to 9 billion people on anything other than plant-based foods because the amount of land it takes to feed a cow, pig, or chicken is vastly greater than it need to grow vegetables of the same calories and same protein. It takes about 16 times more land to grow uh, animal protein than it does to grow vegetable protein. And that's on any given area of land. I mean, people will often say, oh, well, this area of, you know, Montana, it's, you know, all you can grow is cows. Well, you're looking at a one cow per hundred acres of land, and you're going to get, you know, somewhere around 400 pounds of beef off of that 100 acres. Well, you can grow a lot more vegetables. You can grow at least 16 times more vegetables, plant proteins, on that same 100 acres with the same amount of water or potentially even less water. Oh, yeah. I just I I I mean I, I, I you know I think back to John Robbins' Diet for a New Planet and this that book's what thirty years old right something like that yeah, the the, the facts in, something like that the the facts in there are very 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 salient to what we're talking about and this is a book that was written decades ago talked about it then and and I and I something that stuck with me after that book was this very simple concept. In, in whatever the the you know pounds of grain that is, are required varies from animal to animal that in order for a a chicken to a, acquire a pound of meat it's something like i don't know i'll just throw a number you probably know what it is 10 15 pounds of grain uh to create a pound of meat on a on a chicken is that even is that even yeah, I mean, well, something the, like the, that for the standard the, the feed conversion ratio is yeah. about 16 pounds of yeah. grain to produce a pound of beef. And so it's a 16 pounds of perfectly edible grain. And usually it's uh, wheat, corn, soybean, right. um, flax. I mean, there's a number of things that are fed to livestock that human beings can eat directly, which is also a misconception. People say, oh, well, what we feed livestock, we can't eat, which is not true. That's we not look true. at yeah. any organic dairy. Um, we can't eat grass. That's pretty the only thing that we can't eat. Um, and then the feed conversion ratio is go down from there and yeah. thankfully due to the selective breeding and you know genetically altering through breeding we have chickens that you know used to take a chicken you know months to get reach the age of slaughter weight now it's about 42 days uh, before a chicken from hatching to slaughter weight 
uh, and this is so the conversion ratio has gotten better. It's still though oh. not sustainable, still not efficient. And when you look at the fact that there's close to a billion people on the planet today who don't aren't meeting their calorie needs, they right. don't have enough food, are malnourished, the fact that we're feeding close to seventy percent of the world's soybeans to feed non-human animals is is an atrocity. And really, it's a human rights issue that I think is should be at the forefront of the issue when it comes to starvation. Yes, and and that's another thing that is talked about in cowspiracy is we we make and we do produce enough food to feed the world. It's just what we're doing with that food that is the problem. But I was just going back to the John Robbins and his book, and that was. Uh, when, when people, when I would talk to people about these statistics that were even then, you know, mind-boggling, they were a lot more crazy now. I'd say, well, why not just eliminate the middleman? Why don't you just eat that grain and allow yourself to live a sustainable, you know, healthy life as opposed to, you know, forcing—I mean, forcing this into an animal—and that's another whole thing. You know, the GMOs, the the uh, the steroids, all the rest of the antibiotics that we're feeding these animals in order to get them to fatten them up quicker. Uh, the environmental devastation—they—they they, we even. I would love to talk a little bit about the uh, the uh, rainforest. The, the, what is it? An acre a second? Is it what? What is that? About, yeah. Or a, what is yeah, it? A football thing where they vary, but it's about an acre per second is cleared. Uh, in rainforest is cleared, you know, every second of every day, and the vast majority of that is cleared for livestock production. Right, and you know, to our listeners, to our audience, you know, at some point that's going to matter. Okay, I mean that well, is that is going to well, matter, and it's going to matter in a big well, way. You know, and uh, hmm. you know, it's it's just this odd thing that because we have such an efficient system of delivering food to to thousands of you know items to a supermarket most of which are corn syrup variations of corn syrup that we think we have this illusion that we have a food supply that is sustainable and will always be there and we don't <laughs> we don't no we definitely don't not not in its current model that's for sure yeah. uh i mean you know going back to the gmos as you're saying there's a huge discussion about GMOs, particularly in the environmental community, and I think that's great because it's an issue that definitely should be looked at. What's often overlooked is the fact that the vast majority of GMO crops are not fed to human beings. They are fed to livestock, and and GMOs have been perpetuated by the livestock industry. The reason why we see such rampant GMO, you know, corn, soybean, uh, alfalfa, is because these are feed crops, and so the industry wants to have you know, affordable feed to feed their animals so that they can keep the cost down and keep their profit margins high. We would not see GMO crops being, you know, so rampantly used if it wasn't for livestock. And that's, again, something that the GMO debate has, has greatly overlooked. I, I'm, uh, Keegan Kuhn, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about it. During, at the one point during uh, the film Cowspiracy, uh, um, Kip's on the phone, and he's being told by his funding source for this film that they are uncomfortable, in some manner of speaking, with the direction of the film, and they're going to withdraw, withhold uh, their funding. And I don't want to push you into an area that you don't are not comfortable talking about, given the immense political power, the amount of attorneys that can be brought to bear on people uh, that are talking about the things that you're talking about. But just is there is there any insight? Is there anything that you would like to talk about in that regard? In terms of what kind of pushback are you hearing? Anything from the the meat industry about conspiracy? Was there anything during the making of this film that where you felt like you were getting a political pressure or any kind of pressure? 
Anything like that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the further we went down this path of finding out more about the impacts of animal agriculture and hearing the stories of activists being murdered and activists being arrested and, and treated as domestic terrorists simply for trying to expose what's going on on factory farms around the world and the environmental impact that these farms are having on the planet, that definitely gave us pause. And after interviewing Howard Lyman, it was a, a definitely scary moment. Is that, you know, are we willing to deal with, you know, year-long legal battles and potentially, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines or and or prison for talking about this industry. And, and Kip and I came to the conclusion that, you know, there we don't have another choice. It's that if we don't if we don't talk about this, if we don't, you know, do everything we can to get this information out there, well, there's no hope anyway. We're living on a dying planet, and, and we have to really do everything possible. Um, and and since the film came out, the and the week that the film premiered last summer, beefmagazine.com, which I guess is one of the industry's largest publications, did a write-up and about Cowspiracy. And the title of the article was, Why Ranchers Should Be Concerned About the Documentary Cowspiracy. And it was them saying, look, the film's coming out. It's got all of this information that's really damning to our industry, and you should be prepared for it. Uh, it didn't refute <laughs> the numbers we used in the film. They both made comparisons. They said things like, oh, well, you know, they say it takes 2,500 gallons of water to produce a pound of beef, but it takes, you know, 900 gallons of water to produce a cotton T-shirt, which is true. It does. It takes a tremendous amount of water to produce right. the goods that we all use. Right. We don't consume a cotton T-shirt three times a day, obviously. Right. And, you know, the, these water footprints comparisons that they make, I mean, we just look at anybody's individual impact on the planet. The biggest thing that people do, aside from having children, is going to be the food that they eat because that has, has the biggest ecological impact on, on a day-to-day basis for the vast majority of human population. Yeah, and, and uh, you just uh, had on the, the director of uh, The True Cost, um, which, to your point, it, it about the uh, apparel industry and its impact on the environment and the world, and it's that is another just absolutely frightening thing. Um, but what a, what a lousy, what a crappy response is, well, we're not as bad as they are. I mean that's that what a morally uh logically bankrupt argument to make um uh, you know and and they're distorting their facts in the process so uh, what a that's pathetic I guess that's the good news in a way isn't it Keegan the good news is there's it's really it's indefensible what's going on and that's exactly it and that's exactly it there there's no way to defend it and people people have you know they'll, they'll try and they'll They'll come up with these convoluted ways of justifying that how we can possibly do it. There's a very popular uh, idea of this what's called holistic management grazing, which is uh, basically like a mob grazing of cows to try and uh, replicate wild animals and wild herds and move the animals around in these very tight-knit groups, and they graze down the area, and it's supposed to sequester carbon in the soil and retain water and on and on and on, but when you look at the actual studies, none of them have been able to be replicated. So in scientific terms, there's no merit for this holistic management grazing. And the places where it does work, and some of your listeners may be aware of this method, uh, it are places that have unlikely and unaverage rainfall. So you have very, most of the world doesn't have, you know, adequate rainfall to support cattle in in large numbers. 
Uh, and again, just coming back to the fact that we always have to look at the world's population. There may be possible for someone who has their 100 acres to grow and raise animals, and they do it in a closed-loop system, and they feel that's sustainable. It's not sustainable for 7 billion people on the planet. And that's what we really need to be looking at is not what's, not what's privilegeable, but what's actually thrivable and sustainable for everybody on the planet to do. And, and honestly, I know, you know, when you hear like conservatives make these arguments about sort of this l- sort of liberal elitism and, you know, and they point to these kind of grass fed cows. And, you know, on one hand, you just want to say, well, it's better. Right. You want to say in some some manner of speaking, it's better than this wholesale slaughter that goes on in these in these places, in these meat packing places and businesses. But it is, in fact, it is a legitimate critique that, in fact, it's sort of, it's a feel-good, but it's really, it isn't really the answer. It's not the answer. And for someone to, and in the film, I thought you were quite genteel with the people that you did approach. And I, you know, I kind of understand where they're coming from. The people who are, you know, the free-range cattle and and, and pork and the guy who's got the, the ducks on his property. And, and I, I, you know, there's... You don't want to beat these people up too badly. I think they feel they're doing the right thing. They're approaching it from a from their perspective. It's the right thing to do. But um, we are just rapidly approaching. If we're not already there, if we already haven't passed that point, where where animal agriculture is just simply on the scale of eight million, seven, eight billion people, is just not a viable option. And um, I, I mean, you can make arguments here and there for some of it. But I, I, it's just not a viable option uh, for a sustainable planet. Absolutely. And then and definitely the people who are involved in this industry, I don't think they're bad people. I, I don't think that the factory farm operators are necessarily bad people. They're, they're trying to make a living. And I think for a lot of people who are involved in the grass-fed and organic movements uh, for animal agriculture are, are doing it with good intent. They, they want to make money. Yeah. But if they stop and they look at it actually realistically and they look at what is beneficial to the planet, yes, you may be able to, you know, raise animals on an area of land and it not be causing, you know, unbelievable devastation, though there are studies that say that grass-fed beef actually produces more greenhouse gases than grain-fed animals because it requires less land and on and on. Um, is it really beneficial to the planet? Is it beneficial to the native plants and animals that naturally need to exist there. So you can run cattle on the California coast and make it seem like it's a great sustainable thing, but the reality is is, is every single one of those cows is displacing a wild animal, is displacing the native elk or the native deer or the native, you know, any any animal that needs that area and should be eating the plants that are naturally growing there that are instead being fed to a non-native invasive species. So I think we have to get away from to this this very human centric idea of ecology that humans have the right to occupy the entire planet, which is the truth is we don't. We we really, in order for our, in our own best interest, really need to allow the vast majority of the planet to rewild, to allow forests to come back, to allow natural grasslands to come back, and to allow the native species to come back because they're the ones who have actually evolved to live in balance with those ecosystems instead of these imported European species. And being at the top of the food chain is. Not does not give us the right to take out the rest of the chain in order to sustain okay. our, our own ability. And it's again, I'll say what I said earlier. At some point, this is going to matter in a big way, in a way that will be uh, catastrophic if we're not careful. Now, we've been talking about land-based animals, and in the last sort of part of this interview, I'd like to um, um, I'd like to talk a little bit about the world's oceans and fish. And I'm just going to g- quickly 
90 billion, no, I'm sorry, 90 million tons of fish are pulled from the oceans every year. As many as 2.7 trillion animals are pulled from our oceans every year. Something like for every one pound of fish that are caught, there's five pounds of unintended marine species that are caught up or and discarded as bykill or bycatch. Uh, 63 billion pounds of fish are caught globally every year that they're discarded. That's 40% of all of this. As many as 650,000 whales, dolphins, and seals are killed every year by fishing vessels. Again, at some point, this is going to matter. It already matters. We're seeing huge swaths of the ocean where there's no, there's no um, uh, marine life or very little marine life. Again, this is one of the great things about cowspiracy. We're, we're, it's really about our, our food supply that w- has, as it's constituted now and where we're going with all of this. It is... Again, I can't eat fish anymore. I, I used to use that as sort of the 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 the, uh, the fallback, the plan B for not eating meat. What I called meat, even though it's all meat, it's really kind of another sort of uh, linguistic trick that we play on each other. Um, and again, it, one of the, in your film, it really lays it out. Uh, what were you surprised by these numbers when you when you were doing the research? Definitely. I mean, I felt like I was well educated on the subject, um, but the oceans and the the impact of that we're having on the oceans was a t- complete surprise and a complete shock to me. Um, I mean, you know, according to the United Nations, three-quarters of the world's fisheries are on the verge of collapse, have collapsed, or very soon are threatened on, of collapsing. Uh, and, you know, there's just this massive overfishing that we're, we're doing to the oceans. But the, the reality is, is people will say, oh, well, there's sustainable fishing or there's even fish farming. And the oceans didn't evolve for this terrestrial super predator to come in and be able to target literally trillions of animals. Yeah. I mean, that just never existed. And so ecosystems weren't, did not evolve, did not have a system of where we were mining, a species was mining and not getting back. You know, if, if, you're, if you're an aquatic species and you're eating, you know, trillions of animals, you're an aquatic species. You're giving back both with your own body when you die as fertilizer, through your own waste, human beings, we're a terrestrial species. We have no right, and we do not belong in the oceans. And we are because of, you know, before we only could fish coastal waters, but now we're fishing the deep seas all the way from the Antarctic to the Arctic. Uh, and then you go to land-based fishing or land-based, you know, fish farms. They're feeding, you know, for farmed salmon, for example, it's somewhere between 5 and 12 pounds of wild-caught fish to produce one pound of farmed salmon. Uh, or then you could say, okay, well, we'll eat tilapia, you know, animal fish that can be fed vegetables. And so they're fed genetically engineered soybeans. And those soybeans cause, you know, these fields are, you know, sprayed with chemical fertilizers, and those run off into ocean waters as well. So there's really no way to do it sustainably. And I think this the idea, too, of relative sustainability. We always have to bring back the fact that we have a ever-growing human population that is very hungry and needs to be fed unless we do something about population, which I'm not saying we shouldn't you know, be looking at population as well because I think it's an important issue, but something we can all do today yeah. is we can change the way we eat. And according to Science Magazine, um, in the impacts of biodiversity loss could cause, could create a literally a fishless ocean by 2000 and, I mean, by, yeah, 2048. Now, sometimes when you quote these statistics, people go, oh, you know, it, that's so kind of crazy in some ways that it, it might even put people off. To, that, that you, you lose some credibility when you say that. However, if it's, I mean, even if we're in the same 
ballpark. We're in the same zip code as that being, uh, you know, a, a possibility. It's it is a wake up call. It is absolutely, uh. absolutely. They're talking about fishless oceans in in about thirty years. Okay, that's nuts. Um, yeah. And we've already seen it. You know, we've already seen when one fishery collapses, it has a, a it affects the entire you know food pyramid. Is that you, you can't remove one block and not think that the whole structure is going to fall down? And that's exactly what's happening. You're seeing you know animals that are migrating into different areas and they're competing with native species there, and then they both become threatened, and then they're both fished. Um, I mean, you know, Sea Shepherd Conservation Organization you know says in the film there's no such thing as sustainable fishing, and I have to agree with them that. And, and, you know, and kudos to Sea Shepherd for, for taking a hard stance out of stance that nobody wants to hear. No one wants to hear there's no such thing as sustainable fishing. But the, that's the reality is that there's no way we can do this sustainably. You know, an organization like Oceana will say, oh, well, we just have to change the technology. <laughs> and it's whether you're using gill nets, you can might be able to cut back on the amount of untarget species killed. But again, these ecosystems never evolved to have literally millions of tons of nutrients pulled out of them every year. Yeah. Well, let's let's end all of this because this is again. I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with Keegan Kuhn. He is the director, co-director of the film Cowspiracy: The Sustainability Secret. You can go to cowspiracy.com and find out more. Let's end all of this on a positive note. Let's talk about ways in which people can see Cowspiracy. They can buy it. What kind of action can they take? Who do you recommend that they go to, or you know, what organizations or information should they be gathering in order to sort of arm themselves as they move forward in their own lives? Talk about Definitely. seeing the film. How can we how can we see this besides buying it? We can buy it, but go ahead. Yeah, so you can go to Calspiracy.com. Uh, you can stream the film there through VHX. You can buy the DVD there as well. Um, we've got some exciting news that hopefully we'll be able to announce in the next month or so with, uh, with some bigger stuff going on. Um, people can get involved through our newsletter at Calspiracy.com, and that's a great way to keep in touch with what what's going on with the film and what's going on with this movement, because this movement is just growing. Uh, we do updates with blogs uh, about current news that's happening. They can follow us on Facebook at Cowspiracy, The Sustainability Secrets, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and then the organizations they can support, you know, Cowspiracy was produced by AUM Films, which is a 501c3 nonprofit. So if they want to support the film and support the message and create more films like it, they can go to aumfilms.org. Uh, supported there. And then there's other organizations, you know, we talked about the organizations that aren't talking about animal agriculture, but there are a handful that are talking about it. So Sea Shepherd Conservation Organization, or Conservation Society is talking about uh, animal agriculture. Uh, Center for Biological Diversity is an amazing organization that is talking about the impact of animal agriculture on biodiversity loss, and they actually have a campaign called Big Extinction Off Your Plate, advocating people to reduce or eliminate animal products from their diet, and they've got a great resource particularly around the 4th of July weekend. Definitely encourage people to check them out. Factory Farm Awareness Coalition is an organization that is talking about the impacts of animal agriculture. Um, I highly recommend people check them out. But, you know, a great place to start is Cowspiracy.com. It is. Oh, and something I do want to add in yeah. is, is that Cowspiracy is a entertaining and funny film. It's a very, it's a very heavy subject matter, but we try to yeah. have it as <laughs> humorous as possible. And I think viewers will really get that, too. It's not a doom and gloom film. It's very much about hope. It's very much yeah. uh, a funny, entertaining journey. 
And and I think I've been remiss by not underscoring that. You're absolutely right about it. It is, as I said, a very engaging film. Kip's a very engaging guy to, to follow uh, around. The people you have on, Michael Pollan, Richard Oppenlander, uh, Will Tuttle, Howard Lyman, Will Potter, all of these people are informative. Uh, there is a sense of, uh, you know, the, that, again, the good news is, a grain-based diet, and the and who and I forgot who you had on from the uh, that uh, Bill Gates had contributed to an organization, essentially allowing people to kind of replicate the food that they're used to eating, if that helps, right? <laughs> if that helps them Absolutely. somehow, you know. Then that, that's all for the best. But there are organizations that are showing people ways to eat plant-based food that is as good and, and it's as good as the, what you are used to eating, and it's so much better for the planet it's so much better for you as a person your health and all the rest of it um that it, that's it, it's an encouraging film and one level and i again i said you know you, you could have really brought the hammer down on some of these interview people that you interviewed in some of these organizations i thought kip did a nice job of you know i would say feigning you know um uh what's the word i'm looking for feigning uh uh, respect for them not knowing the things that they should have known or should know about and should be promoting. Uh, and I thought it could, you know, these organizations, I mean, these uh, interviews could have gone completely south in a hurry if he had gone in as a very aggressive interviewer. But uh, it allows them the opportunity to explain themselves. And um, it's a very nice film. And on, on just all, every level, um, it is uh, a wonderful film to see. And and hopefully it'll spur people to action. There's also Tug. People want to organize a screening in, at a theater near themselves or at a community venue. They can go through Cowspiracy and find out how they can screen the film for others. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm, yes. I, I, I apologize if I didn't uh, give it the, uh, the film. The tone of the film is very inviting. So, uh, oh, well, no, it's, it's one of those things, too. And we, we went with a, you know, kind of a... a what we think is a quirky but maybe off-putting title of Cowspiracy. People see Conspiracy and they think it's going to be this really dark film, but it it is. It's light. You yeah. know, it's as light as it can be for such a heavy subject matter. Yeah. Uh, it's not a film full of graphic imagery. You know, there is there is one scene of yeah. you know one scene of violent animals, but it's not an animal rights film. It's uh, it's an ecological film. Uh, and it's, again, yeah, I mean, response that we've gotten from people around the world, the film's been translated into 15 languages. We're in the process of having it dubbed into a number of languages. Um, I mean, it has just been, you know, overwhelmingly been uh, embraced by so many people around the world. And so I think that, you know, your listeners would, you know, who are into independent films and into documentaries, I think would get a lot out of the film. Yeah. And, so I highly recommend people check out. Yeah, and also it's encouraging that with some of these emerging economies around the world, uh, before they buy completely into this kind of Western philosophy and uh, try to replicate the American Western diet, that the more that this we got to we've got to educate people that 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 is unhealthy <laughs> and it's not yeah. sustainable and it wrecks their economy and they end up owing the World Bank a lot more money than they did when they started and this is such a nutty and again I I as someone who saw the film yesterday I, I I'm still I'm still overwhelmed by the by this information and and the fact that not every American has access apparently is you know does not have access to this information in in a way that uh, it should be part of our common 
it should be the common ground upon which we have these discussions is this information and it and we don't and that's distressing and it's it's uh it, it's in it's uh thank you so much for being a part of uh film school today keegan thank you really it, well, thank you for, for having me i really do appreciate you you know using giving me the opportunity to talk about this issue and and uh, all the work that you're doing. And, yeah, and if something comes up along the way that, you know, uh, you or, or, or Kip are interested in promoting an, another uh, follow-on or some other film uh, that you feel strongly about, please let me know. I'd be I'd love to have uh, either one of you or both of you back on. So thank you. Yeah, well, definitely will. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.